Welcome to Get Right for Sunday, a podcast designed to help you prepare for Sunday and beyond. I am Pastor Wright, and each week I have a conversation exploring the Bible readings for this upcoming Sunday. Join us as we discuss how the lessons are applied to our daily life in Christ. Welcome. Today's conversation will be over the second Sunday of Easter, and the reading podcast was dropped last night, so you can listen to those so that you can hear the great and wondrous things that are discussed for this podcast. For today's conversation, we are joined by Pastor Aaron Miller, and I'd like to welcome you to Get Right for Sunday. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is exciting to get together and talk about the Bible. It really is. Yeah. So my name is Aaron Miller, and I'm the pastor at St. James Lutheran Church in Glen Carbon, and I've been there for a couple of years. Before that, I was at Good Shepherd in Collinsville, sister church here in Collinsville, the Holy Cross, mm. and um, been there. Got my wife uh, works at the our local Lutheran high school, Metro East Lutheran High School, and I uh, got three kids: one at the high school and two attending Good Shepherd. Oh wow! And that's pretty much me. Absolutely. Well, again, thank you for taking time out of your schedule to come and speak about the Bible and truly an exciting text. We have celebrated Easter. We have celebrated the resurrection, but stuff is still left unresolved. So we're looking at St. John chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. And this is the great biblical event of St. Thomas, who has the wonderful nickname of Doubting Thomas. But before that, we have Jesus, and I love this event. The, the disciples are in the upper room, the same room that they did the Last Supper in. All the windows are locked, all the doors are locked, and they're scared. They just witnessed Jesus being crucified, and now they're worried, are they going to be next? And then Jesus shows up. And I, I can't imagine this. I don't know what their attitude is. I don't know their the the feeling in the room. And how does Jesus just show up? I mean, does he just materialize? Is it a slow thing? Or is it, you know, who, who knows? But I, I love his first words. Peace be with you. And this is a huge statement because he shows them their hands, his feet, and shows and it's proving. This is me, the same guy that you saw on the cross, but then offers peace. And this is, again, a huge statement because we need to remember that the disciples abandoned Jesus and left him and he was crucified. And now the question is what to do next? And, and they have no idea. That's why they're, they're hiding. And Jesus not only says, peace be with you, but then makes this other statement, receive the Holy Spirit. It's not Pentecost yet. No. So what's up with the receiving of the Holy Spirit? Why now? Uh, any idea why, why he would? Because he's offering peace. He's offering and connecting to the cross, showing himself, but then brings in the Holy Spirit. I, I think that's an interesting thing that he does. Well, I think the Holy Spirit here is kind of the, the turning point for the disciples. Okay. So they are, they are afraid they are hiding, mm -hmm. but look at what happens after Pentecost when they suddenly become bold, right. when they really do become the 
the missionaries, the apostles that mm-hmm. they're they're called to be. And really the main difference is the Holy Spirit. Right. And we've talked before about the disciples not getting things or not understanding until later. And I think the turning point for them is the receiving of the Holy Spirit. No, I don't know if that quote unquote moment is is here or the the tongues of fire later, you know, where exactly that moment falls. But I do think that moment forever changes them. Oh, yeah. And I don't know if it's a, a single moment. I don't right. know if it's a, like this instant you don't have it and this instant you do. But I do know that having the Holy Spirit makes all the difference. Well, yeah, and as I play off that, the whole idea that the receiving or the giving of the Holy Spirit is not a one-time event. It's not, here it is, hope you catch it, mm. hope you get it. But it's kind of the, the beginning and I don't want to make receiving the Holy Spirit into a process, and now you have to do these things. But the continual promise of the Holy Spirit in the peace that has been won on the cross. Right. Now, what's interesting about this is not everybody is in the upper room. Somebody misses out. There's always that one guy that, that is left out. And the, one, a, the one person who always is not there when something important yeah, happens. Yeah. And you, you tell them about it later, and you realize it's never quite the same right. as actually being there. Yeah, it's the joke, oh, you should have been there. Yeah. Well, and of course, that's St. Thomas. And the disciples very excitedly tell Thomas, we have seen him. He's risen. And Thomas makes a, a very matter-of-fact statement. Until I see him, until I put my fingers in the nail holes, the my hand in his side, then I will believe. I will never believe. That, that's a big statement. Yeah. And I think it's interesting. And I'm curious. Thomas is not a dummy. And he has made some really good statements uh, previously. Uh, two of my favorites, um, going to Bethany with uh, Jesus for Lazarus, uh, making the statement, let us go and die. Again, that's that's a statement of faith. Uh, the John 14, when Jesus talks about the uh, many rooms and, and makes the statement again, uh, you know where I'm going, right? And Thomas, boldly and, and thankfully, he's that guy that asks the question that nobody else is willing. Jesus, we don't know the way. How can we go? And we hear Jesus, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So, it seems that Thomas has a good grasp of what's happening. Uh, he's no less, no more than the other disciples. But this is a big statement. I will never believe unless I see and touch. Well, I want to look at this statement also in context to the other ones that he said. And if you listen to all of the things you just said and what he just said here, what's interesting is they're all very definitive, strong, matter-of-fact statements. Let us go and die. Uh, Lord, we don't know the way to go. He's the guy that, you know, asked the question that everybody's wondering. Right. He actually raises his hand and asks it in that, uh, John 14. And here even, he says, I will never believe. It's it's very definitive. It's very, I almost want to say confident. Well, I feel like this goes against how we view Tom. Right. Because when we hear the word doubting, I almost think like waffling back and forth, like unsure. Mm-hmm. And it does not often seem like Thomas is unsure. Right. Well, and you got to remember, people don't come back from the dead. 
And I'm still trying to wrap my head around this because it's so easy to throw the disciples under the bus. Why didn't they get it? Why didn't they see this? But the idea that somebody that they lived with, ate with, traveled with for three years was horrifically murdered in front of them. And then, oh, and he came back. That doesn't make sense. And I don't think, um, again, in my mind's eye, that Thomas crosses his arms in a very defiant, I will never believe unless I, you know, I'll prove it. Uh, I, I think it, it's a question. I, I think it's a longing. I want to believe, but this doesn't make sense. And how do we deal with that? And I think that's a huge thing. Because again, on the evening of that day, so, you know, this is all fresh. They're still trying to process. And I think it's a huge statement, and I agree with Vicar. I think the word doubting just kind of undermines the, the questioning, the longing, the, the, the need that uh, Thomas is asking for. And again, not a just prove it, but how do I deal with this? What does this mean, being a good Lutheran? Yeah, the, the the fact that, so Jews in Jesus's day, many of them believed in the resurrection. Ezekiel right. talks about it. Daniel 12 talks about a future resurrection. What none of them believed in, though, at least in, in the literature that we have, none of them believed that there would be sort of an advance on that. Mm. Many of them believed that on the last day that yeah. the righteous would be raised. None of them believed that one person would be raised before everybody else was. That's kind of new information. And I, I'm with you guys. I don't, it's, it's, I, I guess it's easy to sermonize and say, you know, don't be a doubting Thomas, but I don't think he's acting any differently than anybody else with the information right. that he had at the time would have acted. And I think it's a perfectly reasonable thing to say, I, I, I want to see him before I believe. Now, I mean, we're going to go on and talk in a few minutes about the position that we're in and how it's different for us. But right. I, so I agree with you guys. I certainly don't think that he's some sort of bonehead. Well, and, and I, I appreciate that because, and I really like the idea that, you know, we're confessing Christians believing in the resurrection. But even us today, that's later. That's later. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know. Like how, how open would we be to someone, to our friends telling us that Dave who died last week, they just saw him. Right. Yeah, yeah. And, and like, granted, there'd be no reason for us to, you know, accept that proposal, but yeah, I, I'd be pretty dismissive of that. Yeah, well, quickly, yeah. So, no, I, I, I can easily attach to that question and that concern. But eight days later, and I love the number eight, because uh, eight day, the eighth day is the fullness, everything. It's the new day. It's the resurrection. It's forever and ever. So, eight days later. His disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them. So they, they got Thomas with them, <laughs> and Jesus shows up again. And, and I got, again, if I could invite you into to my imagination. Again, Jesus just shows up, all the doors, all the windows are locked. And I really do think that he immediately singles out Thomas. But it's not a mean, hey, you, I heard what you said, come here. Well, Jesus does this a couple other times, too. I think of him singling out Peter. Yeah. Uh, Post-resurrection as well. And, you know, asking him the, Peter, do you love me? Three right. times as kind of a way of providing almost an absolution for Peter's denial. Mm -hmm. Peter's almost kind of doubting. Right. Uh, with, with denying Jesus three times when he was taken away to be crucified. So Jesus is singling out a couple of the guys uh, after his resurrection. Oh, yeah. And 
walks across the room or whatever. And again, in my uh, my imagination, that the hand going up, put your finger here. There's no question as to what to do. Thomas can't shrink back from his statement. And, and good for Thomas. He does. He touches the resurrected Lord, placing his fingers and his hands in the resurrected Lord, and then makes this beautiful confession. My Lord and my God. This, again, is huge because it's not just, hey, Jesus, you're back, you're alive. My Lord, that is a title that is uh, uh, pointing to who he is. But then, my God, now it's the divinity. Now this is not just my friend who came back, but now you truly have fulfilled everything you said, and only God can do this. God is here with us. And I, I, I fully expect and believe Thomas knows what he's saying, but at the same time doesn't know the gravity of what just happened. Well, I think this is Thomas once again making a confident, definitive yeah. statement. And this statement, we should not overlook this because it's often to, it's easy to miss the significance of this because we already know everything right. at our place in history 2,000 years later. We are already like, yes, of course, Jesus is fully God, fully man. He died on the cross. He rose again. It's very easy. We've heard those things time and time again as we've read the Bible, as we have, you know, learned in, in church and worship and all of these things. But at the time, that's a big deal. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of the book of John is about tackling this question and approaching and understanding how this man who walked among us is the son of God. Yeah. And you know, so there's a lot of conversation about the I am statements that Jesus mm -hmm. makes in John. There's a lot of other like strong divinity claims, but, but this but, is the best one. Right. But Jesus can make all the divinity statements and claims he wants because he is God. Right. For it to come from somebody else, that's where, and I, I think going back to your statement, the work of the Holy Spirit, this is a real change. This because is, even St. Peter in his confession it's almost alluding and making a connection. But again, going back to your statement, a definitive, this is God here. Well, I'll make a confident uh, definitive statement here. <laughs> this is where belief begins. That's interesting. This yeah. is where, for the first time, they truly grasp who stands in front of them. That's really a scary statement. Yes. And I mean that in the exciting, you know, faith, because you'll hear the, uh, probably in a couple of Sundays, the road to Emmaus, and the, the guy's walking with Jesus not knowing, but after, wasn't that amazing? Didn't you feel his presence? And, yeah. Um, and oh, I like that. It's a change because we got to wait until Pentecost before we, we see the light bulb. But now with all of this, and we should, praise and thank God for this confession. But Jesus doesn't let Thomas off the hook on this one either. And I really appreciate it. And again, it's not the wagging the finger or why didn't you believe, but it is the statement, have you believed because you have seen me? And before we, we push record, I, I made the statement uh, in the preparation that this is an easy confession to make because Thomas 
literally just touched Jesus, just has seen him, knows that this is the very man who is crucified, the very man that he spent time with. So it's easy at this moment. That's not giving credit to the, the gravity of the situation. Because again, people don't come back from the dead. And this is still the work of the Holy Spirit. But again, I do appreciate that Jesus really making Thomas an example, not as at his expense, but showing for the benefit of the church. This is the pinnacle of why I've come, and this is what I have come to do, to show and reveal myself. And going back to the vicar statement, to create belief in the impossible that is possible only through me. Because he goes on to say, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And, and that would be us. And again, we, we've we read to the end of the story, so we, we got all the, the, the knowledge of the what has happened, but we still haven't seen, we still haven't touched, we ha- still haven't had Jesus show up in the locked room and say, peace be with you, trust me, it's really me. And I think that's interesting. Well, and that raises an important question. Where does our belief yeah. come from? Because it isn't necessarily coming from as empirical a place as it is for for Thomas and for a lot of the other disciples here. So where does it come from? Well, in the text you have, a well, you got two streams. And Pastor Wright, I think you were talking about this before we started recording too, that, um, uh, you know, Jesus commissions the disciples, receive, breathes on them and gives them the Holy Spirit. And this is this is for mission. For as mm-hmm. the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. I came here, you know, I am God in flesh here to save you. And now I'm sending you all out for that same mission to take me out there. It's definitely a Holy Spirit thing. It's also a scripture thing. You know, John wraps up the text with, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. You know, so he says, uh, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And then he goes right in in the very next verse to tell us how it is that we believe. So you have spirit and word working together to do exactly what, to to give us exactly what Thomas experienced. I think that's a really concise, great way of explaining how we get to believe, that it's these two things working together. Uh, Because we do have the Holy Spirit. In a certain way, we have a leg up on the disciples through most of their ministry because we receive the Holy Spirit through our baptism at such an early age. And we have had the Holy Spirit working on us as a church for such a long time. So that's an amazing gift that we have. And then we also have the, the word and witness of, of those who were there and God working through his written and spoken word to bring us to faith. And so I, I think that's a, an excellent point about how we get to believe through the Holy Spirit working on us, which is a miracle. Yes. And also God working through his word, where it's proclaimed, where it is written, to bring us to believe in what has happened. And belief is not just to believe that it happened, but to really trust in Christ, to trust in the person of Jesus. That's what we really mean by belief, by by saving faith. It's not just, do I have all the facts down? It's, what do I do about it? Yeah. Well, I did, if I can draw one more connection, too, or try to at least, you can uh, push back any, any at all, any, any amount that you want. 
you know, so the mission that they're on from the Holy Spirit is, you know, the forgiveness of sins. That's how we experience Jesus is in the forgiveness of sins. Mm. It's interesting to me that in the, you know, in the first John text, you know, John starts off with just this classic, you know, that which we have, that which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands. You can, you can imagine yeah. John in the fishing boat grabbing right. Jesus as they're hauling a net, and he actually knows what it's like to be around the physical Jesus. But that's just his prelude. He actually, for those of us who haven't been able to see and touch and hear Jesus physically, he goes on to talk about how our joy can be complete. And it happens when the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all, the blood of Jesus, God's son cleanses us from all sin. And if we confess our sins, we have fellowship with him and with each other. And so it's almost like for John, you know, the physicality of the of God incarnate. I mean, so it's super essential, right? But lest we imagine that somehow we are we've been shortchanged because we haven't got to experience that. Both the gospel text and the first John reading is like, no, you actually are experiencing everything that Jesus is in the Word and by the power of the Spirit and in the forgiveness of sins. Oh, absolutely. And I remember when I was at the seminary, I remember a professor telling me that I have more Jesus than any of the disciples. And it was so hard to wrap my head around that. But it's right, because I have the fullness of all that God has done in Christ here, given, and delivered. And then it was really, I got this horrible guilty feeling that I missed that. That I, have I taken that for granted and just, oh, it's the thing we do on Sunday. Yeah. Because let's move into the Lord's Supper. What's placed into your hand? What's placed into your mouth? the very body and blood of Christ. And why would we not look at that as the fullness, the completion, the the promise, and going back to belief and living that out in trust? And that is what the church has been given, and that's what the church delivers through the pastor. And holy cow, the, 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 the immensity. Huge. Huge. Yeah. And again, coming right off of Easter, we celebrate this big event. Yeah. And then it seems like we return back to our life and move on. Right, yeah. And uh, that continue, we truly do live in a new reality that is contrary to the, the world, contrary to our understanding, contrary to what we can comprehend. And you bringing up First uh, John, I, I love the fact that uh, St. John actually grounds this in a reality that we deal with day in and day out. Yeah, yeah. The community of believers, the we are connected in Christ. And why don't we push on this? Yeah. Why don't we rejoice in this? Why don't we foster this instead of making church the thing that we do on, right. on Sunday or the thing that we kind of belong to or, you know, a, a work, so to speak? Yeah. I was when I was you were talking, Pastor. I was thinking like a lot of this in my own past struggling with this goes back to a faulty view of the ascension. I know we're a little mm. premature talking about the ascension, mm. but the notion. Okay, so Jesus died and rose from the dead and forgave my sins, but now then he he, he he's gone. He went back up to the right hand of his father and we're kind of you know back to status quo. But actually uh, coming to fully understand, which and I'm not claiming to fully understand the ascension, but understand it better that. The ascension is not the absence of Jesus, but his lordship now over all creation, so that his body, which were, you know, which John handled and Thomas touched, is the body that he gives us in Holy Communion, is the body of Christ, the, the community of believers that Paul talks about in Ephesians mm -hmm. 4 and 1 Corinthians 12. He is far from being absent. Right. He is now 
ubiquitous. Yeah, he's now everywhere, and uh, that's um, that's a good for me. That's good motivation to uh, to not think of him as distant or something in the past, or or even worse, something that well they got to experience, but we don't get to experience. I wish maybe someday we will when we get to see him face to face. No, we are seeing him now. Yeah. Well, like you said, every time we receive forgiveness of sins, we are receiving Christ. Yeah. Uh, this was a topic in confirmation. We were just yeah. kind of teaching this, uh, that when when your sins are forgiven in the name of Christ, it's as if Christ himself were standing in front of you, forgiving you, because he's given that authority to the church. Right. That's literally what happened yeah. at the beginning of our, our John reading, yeah. is he said, you know, whoever you forgive uh, in my name, their sins are forgiven. forgiven. So whenever your sins are forgiven, Christ is there. He is there with you, forgiving those sins, removing them, paying the price for them, buying you back and bringing you back into relationship with God and into a community of believers bound together in Christ, which is this physical thing yeah, yeah. that we can experience that God has given us. You know, uh, Paul talks about the the body of Christ mm-hmm. and how we are the body of Christ. It's through this community, which we can see and touch, that we also experience right. Christ. And, and I think that, as Pastor Wright was saying, elevates our understanding of what church is to beyond something that happens for an hour on Sunday, but it is a unique and peculiar community bound together by grace and forgiveness, held together not by a particular ideology or political affiliation or you know anything like that, but held together by Christ and given to each other, which yeah. I think is amazing. Yeah. It's also missional too. It's, yeah. it's it's not just for us, but like, you know, as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. As Christ is to Israel, so is the church to the world. It's you know, I mean, where is Jesus in in Collinsville? Well, Jesus is here. The yeah. Holy the Holy Cross Lutheran Church. This is the body of Christ doing what Jesus did in Galilee here in Collinsville. So, in the midst of this discussion, uh, especially like after holy absolution, after receiving the very body and blood of Christ, the, the statement that Jesus makes, do not disbelieve, but believe. And again, as if Christ has given, as if Christ has said, and, and really living out the faith. And, and I have no problem saying the, the struggle of what's happening and the, the bigness and the gravity. Did I miss it? Have I taken advantage of this? Um, and, and that's the struggle of the old Adam, the new Adam, the community of believers. Um, just because we are the, the the body of Christ doesn't mean that we all get along. Right. We still deal with our sinful nature, but we do this together in the promise of peace, in the promise of grace, as Vicar was saying, being bound together, I actually now have to deal with you in our sinful nature because of God's love. And how amazing is that? Because it takes off the responsibility of fixing anything. I just have to deal with you as Christ dealt with you. And now it's grace, it's love, it's struggle with how do we make this better in faith, in belief, and both the first John text and the gospel lesson just sets the groundwork for the missional life of the church. Yeah. And 
frankly, it's just real exciting. And dear listener, I know you can't see me, but my hands are up in the air. I'm excited. I'm talking about, uh, talking with my hands because this is just fun because it is the life of the church and the joy of what Easter gives to us. Thank you for listening to Get Right for Sunday. I know that your time is valuable, and of all the things that you could have watched or listened to, you have chosen to deepen your biblical understanding with Get Right for Sunday. Would you take a moment to give a five-star rating of this podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform? This actually helps others to be able to find Get Right for Sunday. Again, thank you for your time, your prayers, and support.